just because you love someone does not mean you will be able to make a life together that you love. Okay, I'm back with some guest interviews. I'll probably be doing them once a month at this point, maybe every other week. But let's start with once a month. And today's episode is with Susan Piver. Susan was a guest of mine a few years ago. I've attended a few of her meditation retreats. She is the author of several books. Uh, One of my favorites is The Four Noble Truths of Love. She's also written The Wisdom of a Broken Heart. And today we're talking about the hard questions 100 essential questions to ask before you say, I do. This isn't necessarily about people getting married. This is about people committing to blending their lives and spending their lives together. So this book was written by Susan 20 years ago. This is the new revised and expanded edition. And it's about the questions that we need to ask our partners before we commit to a lifetime of love. So questions about money and home life and children and food and society and culture and social media and how you want to navigate all of these together and which one of them are deal breakers, right? You kind of want to know that ahead of time. All right, let's just jump in. I love Susan Piver. She's one of my favorite. Hey, Susan, um, could you please introduce yourself? Yes. um, My name is Susan Piver, and I'm an author and a teacher of Buddhism. Cool. I love your work. We've uh, we've known each other for a little bit now, Mm -hmm. and uh, I always love talking to you. Thank you. I love talking to you, too. I'm excited that you're here. We we missed each other at the very beginning of the pandemic. We were supposed to do a, a meditation retreat at Shambhala Mountain Center together. That's right. It was a really hard decision to cancel, but it was a time when everyone was going, is this real? Should I travel? Should I stay home? And just decided, yeah. But but you went, and I heard it was really good. Yeah, it was March, I, and I went, and it was really good, and uh, they ended up closing the center while we were there yeah. and continuing to support the the retreat that was happening, and so there was only seven of us. That's amazing. In, at the whole place. It was really fantastic. So the retreat was, did you enjoy it? It must have been really intense and cool. It was all those things. Yeah, it was really, it was beautiful. It was peaceful. It was kind of scary. We didn't know what was going on. We were sort of isolated. Yeah. Uh, but it was a beautiful place and time to practice. It is a, it's a wonderful, wonderful place. It really, really is. Yeah. Glad you got to go there. Sorry I um, wasn't there. Yeah, me too. But I'm I'm glad that I decided to go and... Um, Okay, so let's jump in. You've written fantastic books. One of my favorite books of yours is The um, the Four Noble Truths of Love. Thank you. And it's a book that I, I go back to over and over again. I also recently read um, The Wisdom of a Broken Heart, also a very fantastic book. Mm-hmm. And apropos to a lot of what happens when, when, uh, when there's heartbreak. Yeah. And today we're talking about the hard questions. Mm-hmm. 
100 essential questions to ask before you say I do. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about the inspiration for this book. Well, uh, there's sort of two inspirations. The first is when it first came out. Now it's almost 20 years ago, I think. And I was getting married and I had never been married and I was, wasn't meant to be a book. But I remember thinking, oh, I really love this guy. But so what? You know, I love other people too. And those relationships are over. Why would this, why, why would this relationship be any different? Mm. So I, I thought long and hard about it. And I had this sort of insight that just because you love someone does not mean you will be able to make a life together that you love. And for some reason, when I thought that, I was like, what? Nobody ever said that to me. I, what? But that's true. When I thought about my other relationships, they didn't fail because we didn't love each other. They failed because we couldn't make a life together. Yeah. So I just started thinking, well, what is this? What does my boyfriend think about our life? Well, I don't really know. So I started writing questions down, like ordinary, simple questions, like, where will we live? Because we lived in two different places. And what will your kid call me? And are we going to celebrate holidays? You know, things like that. And then we answered them. And it was very interesting. And someone said, oh, that would make a good book. And so then it became a book really by coincidence. And then the version you just held up is the revised and expanded edition. And I had the inspiration to revise it and expand it because 20 years ago, there was no Facebook. You know, there, the world of falling in love and making a commitment has changed. And I also realized that, you know, it was a book written by a white person for white people, basically. And I'm I'm a white person, that's not going to change. But my view was very narrow, and I wanted to language it and expand who it could be for. So it wasn't just by by someone like me, for people like me, so that it could be more inclusive. Yeah, thank you for all of that. Um, Something that I love in all your books is that you always sort of preface it by saying somewhere, there's always a paragraph or a page or a whole chapter saying like, this is my viewpoint. It's fairly limited. I've tried to make it inclusive. And if I've messed up, that's, that's on me. Absolutely. And I love, I love that so much. I mean, it takes, it takes some humility to be able to say like, Hey, I might've messed up. And, and if I have, please let me know. Please let me know. And yeah, it, it's, it's not that hard to say because it's true. I, I do have a limited view and even, yes. So I mean it. <laughs> I mean, some people are just, you know, they're, they're like, hey, this is my view and that's it. If you don't like it, you know, you can just shove off. Well, I don't really want to learn from people like that myself. So I don't want to be someone like that. <laughs> so I, um, I I read this book recently at a coffee shop and the first line, I, I laughed. Right, The, <laughs> the first, <laughs> which is a great sign, right? I mean, not the foreword, obviously. Um which is when my husband Duncan asked me to marry him, I immediately tried to break up with him. <laughs> True story. <laughs> so hilarious. I and I think so like we can this people can resonate with this. It was scary. I remember actually the very first time 
he didn't ask me, but I could see he was about to. We were walking down, we were in New York City where I lived at the time, and we were walking down the street, and it was just, we were in love, we were happy, it was a fall day, we were laughing, we were arm in arm, and I looked at him and I could see he was about to go down on one knee. In New York City? On 8th Street. Brave. <clears throat> yeah. Old man. Exactly. And I, he opened his mouth and I slammed my hand over his mouth. Like, just don't even say it. Just, I don't, don't, no, this is all so good. I, I'm scared of what you're about to say. So then when we talked about it again, I'm like, oh, he did get the words out. And I'm like, oh, maybe we should stop seeing each other. <laughs> don't ruin this. Don't ruin this. It's funny because uh, what you said earlier you know, just because you love someone doesn't doesn't mean that you'll love being in a relationship with them. Doesn't mean that you'll love your life together. Yeah. And there's a difference between a love affair, which is fabulous, and a relationship, which is different fabulous. And we think our love affairs should become relationships, and our relationships should remain love affairs. But the truth is, that's rare. That's rare. And for some reason, we think if it's a love affair romantic and sexy and exciting and wonderful, that somehow it should also become a relationship, but there's no natural segue as such. So one must make the segue. Mm. That was my opinion. <laughs> and the book helps with the segue, right? That it's meant to absolutely <laughs> as the segue. <laughs> we are in love. Can we build a lifetime of love together? Yes. I always like that, a lifetime of love. A lifetime of love would be great. Yeah. But what I found is love comes and goes. Yeah. And it has its own weather patterns. So then what? I can't promise to love. I can promise to act lovingly. I can promise to remain. I can promise to care, but I can't promise to feel love or anything. I think the fear is that when the when the feeling of love or being in love ebbs, uh -huh. then it means that the relationship is over. Yeah. And for some people, it does mean that. That's right. But, you know, okay, go have many love affairs. That's nothing wrong with that. No, you can do that over and over and over again. Yeah. Not and then you don't have to ask any of the hard questions. Zero. Just, just throw the book away. Throw the book away and have <laughs> and just live in euphoria and utopia until it's gone. And then you, you go, well, I guess it wasn't the one. And I'm going to go try with somebody else. Yes. Are you side a familiar pattern to you? Do you? No. How do you relate? Do you relate to that at all? Because I kind of do. I think I used to earlier on. Uh -huh. Yeah. Until I became more like realistic about the amount of work that relationships require. Yeah. How do you think about that work? Do you think like what enables you to hold the idea that work is necessary in a loving way? If there's an answer to that question. That's a, yeah, that's a good question. I think for me, realistically, I just can't imagine a world in which two people can click so completely that they can just live the rest of their lives together without having any sort of discomfort or challenges or friction. Or to me, it just doesn't seem realistic at all. I'm a very pragmatic person. That's good. I am too. I yeah, I know. Those questions. <laughs> I can tell. We have a lot in common in the pragmatic uh, sense. That's good. Um, 
And, you know, anything is going to take some amount of work. Of course, too much work, and then it's a job. Right. So, it, it, so there has to be some balance. Yeah. And some days or periods of a relationship, it is too much work, and then it isn't. So it's just, there's no, like, okay, now it has become too much work, so we must stop, that I found. You know, I thought that, but then it changes again. But sometimes it is too much work. I'm not, especially if abuse or addiction or, you know, intractable inner problems are part of the mix, then that, that's a whole different ballgame. Yeah, I agree. There's, there's a time where it doesn't matter how, how in love you are. This might just not be healthy. Yes, exactly. Um, and, and that sort of leads me to this passage uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but it has something to do with, you know, with regards to um, not really ever having role models that can accurately show us how to be in relationship with the people that we're in relationships with, right? Because every relationship is unique. So what might have worked great for your parents, you can't just apply that recipe to your relationship. And you wrote something um, along the lines of like, how then to create a mature view of relationships that is unique to each couple. And my favorite part about this is where you say, there is no technique, gimmick, class, or easy answer. Yeah. (laughs) I appreciate that you like that. (laughs) That's my favorite part. (laughs) I appreciate that that's your favorite part. Yeah, it seems to be so. Like, And as you know, I'm a Buddhist practitioner and a teacher, and it's... It's not a non sequitur because the main emphasis in spiritual practice, in this case, is on your what you yourself know. So you must make a personal connection to whatever wisdom is of interest to you. Otherwise, it's just BS. It's just conceptual. So everybody has to figure it out for themselves. And that's, that's hard to hear because we won't, especially when we feel vulnerable. And there is no nothing more vulnerable than love. So we want a strategy, we want a system, we want three ways to do this and seven ways to solve that problem. And there is tremendous wisdom out there that one can take advantage of. I'm not saying otherwise. But ultimately, we each have to trust ourselves, rely on our own wisdom, and tune out you know, conventional wisdom from time to time to see what's true for you or me and us. No one, that's, we're not really trained to do that. We're trained to rely on experts. Yeah, I mean, if there was a system, it would be a multi-billion dollar system. I would do it. (laughs) (laughs) I would do it too. Right? Yeah, I would do it. I mean, and, and there's no end to the amount of classes and podcasts and books and therapy that you can do ultimately at some point that you have to sort of act in a way that you think is the is the best way for you to act agreed you have to be yourself and know yourself and entertain the possibility that what works for someone else or what someone else's idea is of a good partner may not be your idea may not be you so for example I often chide myself for not being a really good friend. 
even though I have wonderful friends and I want to be a good friend. And for the longest time, I would give myself bleep for not being a, as good of a friend as I want. And I still could always be a better friend. But I realized at some point, I'm not the kind of friend that will hang out and call you on the phone and, you know, how you, how's, how's it going? Although I'm not opposed to that at all, but, but I, I, that's not my strong suit. But if you're in trouble or someone's being born or dying, I'll be there. So that's how I am. That's where I shine as a friend in other ways. So anyway, it's the point I'm trying to make is once I realized, well, that's what I do as a friend. Okay. That's me. So let me accept that about myself. And the same thing as a partner. I'm not the kind of partner who likes to do lots of things together. <laughs> and I, and I used to think, well, if I was a good partner, if I really was a loving person, I would be planning more things to do together instead of planning more things to do by myself. But and it turns out, actually, I'm just, I'm not the together person. I'm the separate person. Yeah. And when, one thing I learned about relationships and I, that I found extremely instructive was that in order for a relationship to work, which I know sounds like a strategy, you need to have a tremendous sense of togetherness, but you also need to be separate individuals living your life. And the person who I learned this from who was a marriage counselor who was so smart and so great said, in most relationships, one person wants to spend more time together and the other person wants to spend more time apart. And the truth is both of those are essential. And when we learned that, Duncan and I, I was like, oh yeah, I can respect him for what he represents. He's representing for togetherness as opposed to why is he up in my grill all the time? And he did a wonderful job of coming to respect my inclination of spending time on my own interests and my own inner experiences and so on. So anyway, I think that's just one example of how you can come to respect yourself for who you are and your partner for who they are without trying to reshape each other in one's own image. He's the rock and you're the bird. I'm the feather. You're the feather, yeah. <laughs> That's so sweet that you said that. that <laughs> it, and it's true. I knew you were the feather, but I said bird anyways, because a bird will fly and come back. But a feather, I mean... Just floats away. You're right. Float, bird, I mean, is, it, it, <laughs> bird is better. It can float back. It just it needs wind and stuff to like, you know. That's true. Um, well, I think what's beautiful about that is to uh, honor the differences that people have, right? And to appreciate them, learn from them, and not feel threatened by them. Yes. Or when you do feel threatened, to be able to say, I feel threatened. I don't know why, but I want to tell you that whatever it is you just said or you're doing, suddenly I feel threatened. And I'm curious about that. And can I share that with you? Not that you have to change, but I want to tell the truth. What, what's making you laugh? Because uh, I, I, you know, I always want to make jokes all the time. I love jokes all the time. <laughs> Well, and then what, what came up is like, oh, I, can, I couldn't possibly tell that to my partner, you know? But of course, I know that I can. I know that you can have these conversations, these potentially difficult and frightening conversations. Yeah, I think the idea that 
we can be perfect or show up calm, cool, and collected all the time, or be non-attached, which I hate it when people say that. The worst. It's horrible. What's wrong with attachment? Why are you so attached to non-attachment? <laughs> My therapist said that having no expectations is an expectation. Well, that's a be- that's awesome. That's a beautiful thing. <laughs> and it's the same with non-attachment. If you think, oh, I want to practice that, well, then you're attached to non-attachment. It's so right. curious how the thing we don't want is the, actually the tool that we use try to use against the thing that we don't want. Um, you can be a mess in relationships. Yeah. I find that enormously heartening. It, if your partner can be with you while you're a mess without taking on your mess necessarily or feeling guilty about your mess. Or responsible to fix it. Or responsible to fix it. But just to be, oh yeah, she's a mess right now. Oh, I'll, I'm going to be a mess sometime soon too. So can we be together through all of this up, these ups and downs? Yeah. I mean, that to me is, uh, you know, an, uh, one quality of holding space for somebody. Mm-hmm. Not changing it, not necessarily having to fix it or minimize it or cheer them up, but to just be like, hey, I'll be here with you while you're messy. It's okay. I think the issue here is uh, that people are f- afraid that they're going to leave if you show them the mess. Yeah. So there has to be some trust and some yeah. commitment to know that like, we're not perfect, we're humans, we're messy. Uh, you can be messy as long as you're not abusive mm-hmm. or mean, spirited. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um I'll stick around for that, you know? I'll I'll be here for that. Yeah, that's a good partner. I mean, if someone's going to leave when you're a mess, then, you know, they should leave because no one's not a mess from time to time. Yeah. And to be able to be together in that very fragile, vulnerable moments is deeply loving. Even though for the partner, it can be upsetting and disconcerting and... Yeah, sure. A bump and a, and a drag, uncomfortable. Yeah. There's this uh, like epidemic of wanting to avoid discomfort mm-hmm. in all areas of life. True. Particularly in relationships. Absolutely. You wrote that the nature of disagreement is discomfort, and that discomfort just means that a boundary is being stretched. Yeah, and... Sometimes, you know, relationships are really hard and vulnerable and so forth, as we're, as we're saying. And at some point, it seems that we switch because it's felt so uncomfortable to love and so scary because it might not work or scary because it might work. Mm. And then what? There's this, as time goes by, I've noticed in myself and in just humans that the loving part starts to move to the background and the uh, sort of, what's the right word? The negotiation over how to make each other feel comfortable comes to the fore. And sometimes you can find yourself in a relationship where you've just negotiated comfort. Like, you don't talk to me like this, or don't do that, or do do this. And great, everyone should know what they want and don't want and and say it. But when it becomes about not making each other uncomfortable more over knowing each other, then intimacy 
takes powder. Yeah. Yeah. And there's just going to be discomfort. And I think sitting with discomfort is, yeah, I don't know. I think sitting with discomfort is, is, is natural. And yeah. over time it, it passes sort of like feelings and sort of like when you're meditating and your leg goes asleep or you have an itch on your nose uh-huh. and you can choose to itch it, which is, you know, temporary relief of the, of the discomfort immediately. Mm-hmm. Or if you just sit with it, it's probably going to stop yeah. itching. It's long true. And if you wait long enough, it's gonna. And if it doesn't, then you can scratch it. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And there are certain kinds of discomfort that you shouldn't force yourself to sit with. I just always feel like that must be, no one should think, oh, some Buddhist lady said I should sit with discomfort <laughs> when the discomfort is a result of abuse or trauma. Yeah. Those are different. Or if you, you know, if you just don't like the way your partner loads the dishwasher. <laughs> I can't believe you chose that example. <laughs> I mean, that, I, I, <laughs> that's hilarious. I mean, that one comes up in like multiple scenarios with different people. It's, it's like a, it's like a quintessential example of like a partner disagreement, you know? It's hilarious because I don't care how one loads the dishwasher. There are other things I care deeply about, but Duncan really thinks there's a right way to do it. <laughs> I, I also don't care, but I'm also like very particular about a lot of other things. To me, the dishwasher is just not one of them. And so what happens if your partner disregards your particular wishes? Well, I'll probably have a conversation about it and I'll share with them why it's important to me. And then they can assess whether it's important for them to, you know follow my wishes or mm-hmm. to just keep doing it their way. You know, if, if I had a partner that was very particular about how the dishwasher was loaded, I would just say like, can you just show me how to, how you like it done? And then I'll do it because it totally doesn't matter to me. Yeah. I'd love to learn a way. Also, why is this important to you? <laughs> like, let me understand. Oh, it's because when you don't do it this way, um, it's less effective we can't put as many dishes in, mm-hmm. so we're wasting water, and that mm-hmm. is like triggering to me, mm-hmm. right? So there's there's a story underneath the questions. You're so right. This is why we ask the questions. Yes, it is. It, it's to it's not to really get the answers; to get the story underneath. It's to understand the person, whether we agree with them or not. That's so right. I am in complete agreement with you. And this book of questions is not so that you can come up with the same answers. It doesn't matter if you have the same answers or you disagree or you don't know. Although some questions are deal breakers. but We'll talk about that. Okay. But most of them, it, it, the point is not to have the same answer. The point is to know each other. Yeah. And that's what really counts. Intimacy. <laughs> right. It's, it's knowing your partner. It's closeness. It's, yes, it's, exactly. It's understanding it, them to the extent that you can really truly understand a person in a moment because in a moment because the next moment they're going to be a different person <laughs> okay that is particularly triggering for some people because they go you know no when we got together you wanted kids and now you don't and now i feel like my whole life has been a lie and this relationship is a nightmare right well that's a deal breaker question um yeah there's certain things that if the answers change it's really a big problem yeah. Legitimately. But to expect 
a person to remain the same person that you fell in love with 10 years later, 20 years later, that's not possible or even desirable, I don't think. Even over a year. That's true. Or a day. A day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Everything changes. Everything changes. And you're allowed to be really upset if your partner wanted kids and then all of a sudden didn't. Okay, so... I have a friend who was in a relationship. They wanted what both of them wanted kids. Uh-huh. And then the pandemic happened and one of them got really cold feet about the state of the world and was very worried about bringing kids into this world and then decided that she didn't want kids anymore. Wow. What happened to them? That's intense. They broke up. <gasps> that makes sense. That makes sense. And it's understandable. Yes, it on, is. On both of their parts, the one breaking up and the one having different feelings, things change based on new information. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm sad for them, but I'm also glad that one of them didn't decide to do something they really did not want to do. I will send them both copies of The Wisdom of a Broken Mm. Heart. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Drive book sales at the same time as (laughs) healing hearts. (laughs) Uh, what's the, So what's the deal breaker for you now that we're like in deal breaker territory? Oh, I, and not specifically like for you, but like, what is it? What is, people. Uh, what is a deal breaker? Yeah. Yeah. We don't really care what the answer is because people are different. That's right. And different questions are deal breakers for different people. So will we have children? That's that understandably could be a deal breaker if you have different answers. But there, but other questions are like, will we share a religion? You know, that can be a deal breaker for people. That's completely understandable. Will we sleep in different bedrooms? That could be a deal breaker. Yeah, any of them could be deal breakers. It kind of depends really? on what's important to you. <laughs> Do you insist on, pers- on posting our personal life on social media? That's right. That can be a deal breaker. Absolutely. Where do you want to live? Austin. <laughs> okay, we can we can make this work. <laughs> Boss, I meant Boston. Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> that stuff's important. It, it, it absolutely is. I find that very little. There are only a few questions that I think have been deal breakers for couples that I've spoken to. Almost everything else, you know, religion, children, things. Th- those are you can't compromise on those things. It's one or the other. Other things you can have lots of arguments about and still be okay together as a couple. Well, even the religion one, if you have someone who doesn't have any strong feelings about a religion and the other one who does, you know, and insists that you need to convert to this ex religion, mm-hmm. and then the other person's like, okay, well, I love you, sure. Doesn't. Yeah, people funny. do that. I'm, people do that. People do that. I'm, Buddhism is at the center of my life. I've been a practitioner for 25 years. I'm a Buddhist teacher, so forth and so on. My husband has no interest. That's fine. <laughs> well, was it, it wasn't always fine, though, was it? Yeah, it was. I, I just I think I remember in the... in. Um, I'm just holding you to, your, to some old words that you wrote in a book years ago. Uh-huh. But the, the Four Noble Truths of Love, you, you had like some really big concerns about whether Duncan was going to be able to give you the space to practice as much as you needed to practice. That's right. So I think it was fine, but you were concerned that that it might not be fine. I was concerned that it might not be fine for the reasons you said, like he wouldn't understand why am I going on a one-month retreat. But I never 
said to him, you have to be interested in this. You have to be a Buddhist too. Right. And he never said, you have to stop being a Buddhist or, you know, it's good. We, we've really managed to make room for each other on this point in particular in really good ways. Which is important because this is pretty important to who you are as a person. It is. And it was like this when we met. So it's not like I became this, you know, some after we got married. Yeah. The, the question that was the hardest for us, by the way, even though where will we live is still a hard question, even though we've been married for 23 years, we still aren't quite happy with that situation. But the hardest question for us was, will we keep our money in the same bank account? Ooh. That was a big one. That was a big one. And we looked at that question and simultaneously one person said, of course, and the other person said, no way. And I said, no. And he was like, sure. And I was like, well, I have my own business. You're divorced. I'm a grown up. I'm used to having my own, uh, you know, you have your bank account, my bank account. We'll figure things out. And I don't want you to know how much I spend on certain things. <laughs> was back there too, if I'm, if I'm being honest. And so I just thought, well, well, We'll keep it separate. It's separate now. We've been together for several years. It seems to work, I guess. But his perspective was, are you going to have your own milk carton in the refrigerator? Mm. Like, how, how are we going to actually do this? Are you going to buy the groceries one week and I'm going to buy them? Like, to him, it was a question of, are you in or not? Yeah. Are we our lives together or not? I didn't view it that way. I was looking at it more pra pragmatic and selfish, if I may say. But he was looking at it as, are we are our lives going to be together? Yeah, intertwined. Intertwined, exactly. And so when I realized what it meant to him, I changed my answer. Yes, we will keep our money in the same bank account. And that was scary to me, but it, it meant something to him that didn't mean to me. It seemed what he meant to him was more important. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's right, the story underneath it. Yeah. It's not really about the money being together and like needing to see that. It's about what does that represent for us? Exactly. And and I'm happy we made that decision. It, you know, all these years later, it was the right decision for us. And that means that you might have some discussions about some of the, you know, um, frivolous spending. Frivolous is not the right word. <laughs> Discretionary. 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 <laughs> Because it's it, what might be frivolous to him is not frivolous to you, right? Right. That's right. So, so this exercise in bringing the money together could lead to more understanding and more intimacy, more closeness around spending habits. It's so important because money is so intimate, and it means it has so much weight and means so many things and different things to different people, and is an emblem of security and. Lack of security. I mean, it's just, it has so many meaning, layers of meanings. It's, it's a very powerful subject. Daily pedicures, Susan? <laughs> That's what you're... <laughs> at home. <laughs> oh, God. No pedicures since COVID. So some of the... I've been getting pedicures lately. It feels nice. Um, some of the questions around money were like, how much money do each of us have right now? Yeah. In, in checking, in savings, in our investments? Yeah. What kind of investments do we have? Do we believe in cryptocurrencies? Do we want to 
Yeah, they want to like spend money towards that. Like, what are your investment strategies, goals? How risk tolerant are you? Like, these are it, these are all questions that are totally fair game, and they're not like it's not inappropriate to ask these questions if you're going to be committing. And I know this is like the questions you ask before you say I do. And of course, not everyone's is going to want to get married, uh-huh. but we're talking about people committing their lives to each other. Yeah, how much debt do you have? I mean, that's. A really important question. How much debt do you, I have that written? <laughs> How much debt do we have? Do are we gonna have? Yeah. So if we if decide you, to do this thing. You know, these are not questions you're gonna ask when you're dating. But when you're thinking of blending your lives, sharing your lives, these are really important questions. You don't want any weird surprises. Like now it's our life. Yeah, and one person might feel really you know, worried about the amount of debt that they have. And the other person is, is like, oh, well, we can just pay that off and then we don't have to worry about it anymore. That, right. But you won't know that until you have these conversations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or someone might be so triggered by your debt because their whole their family was always in debt and they mm-hmm. just can't, you know, they've built themselves up and they just don't want debt anymore, that that would be a deal breaker for them. I mean, the thing is about these questions, they are all going to come up. Right. They are all going to come up anyway. So why not ask them when the heat is kind of low? Yeah. Instead of waiting for them to explode at some point in a painful way. They're going to. Yeah, they're going to come up. Unless you both live with your head in the sand. Right. Which is also an an option. It's sort of like the unexamined life. You know, it's like not very interesting. Yeah. Or you just live parallel lives, but not you're not in one life together. Right. Yeah. How much time will we spend working? Yeah. Do we hold nine to fives? Do we work from home? Are we more ad hoc with our work schedules? Or yeah. you know, do you prefer clocking out at five and then just relaxing? Do you like to work till one in the morning? <laughs> Some people yeah. do that. I know. We're self-employed. There's no, Duncan goes to a job. Yeah. So at first he was like, well, can't you just stop working when I come When home? I stop. <laughs> yeah. I, no, well, no, I just doesn't work that way <laughs> for me. But for me, it does. I'll, I'll work nine, I work nine to five, mm-hmm. but I work from home and I'm self-employed. That's so great. So right, there you go. Everybody's totally, we, so different. And mm-hmm. you wouldn't know that unless you asked me. Mm-hmm. My friends are like, oh, come on. It's, you know, Tuesday afternoon. I was like, I'm working. I'll be done at five. But you work you work for yourself. I'm like, yeah, so <laughs> this so is when I that, work. It's so great that you can do that. I really respect that a lot. Oh, I'm just so much better in the morning than I am in the afternoon. I mean, my productivity goes way down after three. So I just know that. Yeah. If I want to get it done, it's got to happen in the morning. Yep. So yeah, so many questions. There's like, um, so the sections, just to let people know, we've got home, money, work, health and food, family, children, community and friends, society and spirituality. These are the sort of the main headers or topics. Mm-hmm. And then within that, there's a hundred questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably, you know, the, the recommendation is not to try to answer them all in one weekend. Yeah. I'm guessing it's a lot of work. Yeah. Unless you're like marathon or marathon talkers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, I used to live in New York City, as I mentioned, and, and Duncan lived in Boston, and we would spend a lot of time going back and forth. And that was a good time for us to answer the questions 
because we were sort of in a in-between space and we knew oh, it's going to be several hours, but then it's going to be over. You know, it's that worked for us. We go on a walk and ask some of the questions. But yeah, it, it, did, it would be hard to do it all at once, I think. And some questions won't apply to you. So you could just skip those. Yeah. If we both don't have social media, we don't need to talk about the role of social media in our life. That's right. But we could talk about the role of social media in our future child's life Mm -hmm. and how we want to control screen time and all Mm -hmm. that other stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's kind of beautiful. One thing that you mentioned that might come up is people thinking that it's very unromantic. Right. It kills the mood to talk about all these things. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell me a little more? Yeah. I have heard that several times uh, over the years or multiple times won't it kill the romance or it isn't it unromantic and i think the opposite i think it's very intimate and romantic to share how you really look at your life and the truth about your life and to ask your partner to do the same and the truth is romance is always going to end guaranteed. It'll come back, but it's going to go away again. But there is something else that has no end, and that is intimacy. Romance, ephemeral. Intimacy, you can always go deeper in revealing who you are and receiving who the other person is. So there's, when I thought that, I was like, oh yeah, I can commit to that. I can't commit to love. I can't commit to romance but I can commit to going deeper. And that seemed really heartening to me and honest. So the other most frequently asked question I hear, besides isn't it, uh, isn't it, doesn't it kill romance? The question I hear even more is, what if one person wants to do this, but the other person doesn't? Then you force them to do it. Then you force them. (laughs) Got it. You get a gun. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, well, if your partner won't talk to you about your life together, that would be a very big red flag to me. If if you're someone's saying, or you're talking about entering into an agreement, but one person won't talk about the parameters of that agreement, you know, in the court of law, that would be illegal. Yeah. So if the person doesn't want to talk about your life, then that's... That's a big red flag. And you can't make someone do this. You can't make anybody. You can invite them. Mm-hmm. You can tell them how important it is for you, mm-hmm. what it means for you, mm-hmm. what it might mean for your relationship together. You can say, let's try one question. The fun ones. Let's do the light ones. Let's do the fun There's ones. There's a bunch of fun, light questions in there. Yeah. They're and, not and, all hard. And you can say, I found this book. It may not be good. It may, it may be useful, but we look at it with me. That's so sweet. I think I'm kind of tearing up a little bit at this, like, well, for, at your humility, right? Oh. <laughs> I found this book. It might, it might be terrible. I, I mean, I think I, I just love that, that part of you um, that's oh. sort of like not attached, right, to your, to sort of how people receive your work. You know, I like it when people like what I do and it hurts me when they don't. But of course. I also know my own limitations hmm. as a person. And you can't help everybody. Mm-hmm. Do you, are you familiar with Mitch Hedberg? 
He's a, a comedian. comedian. Yeah. Yeah, he's a stand-up comedian who died of a heroin overdose yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, he was really but he used funny. To say, he was really funny, yeah. He used to say, um, you can't please all the people all the time. And last night, all those people were at my show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The reality is that, you know, your work is super helpful to a lot of people, and it's not going to land for everybody. No. Absolutely. And for us to be attached to it landing for everybody, that's a recipe for disappointment yes, and, it is. and discomfort. Yes, it is. I stopped reading reviews a long time ago. because. Did you? Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> the good ones made me go, well, look at me. And then something then the bad ones would make me go, oh, shit, look at me. And I just didn't want to go on that ride anymore. Because the good ones would make me feel like, my ship has come in. This is all so great. And the bad ones would make me feel like my life is a failure. I'm useless. <laughs> and, and, and I just didn't want to go to either of those destinations. That's like me in comments when I read the comments. Right? Yeah, it hurts when, they, when, they're, pain, when they're unpleasant. And, it, and it's wonderful when they're good. But it's a bit of an ego boost that, you know, the ego doesn't really need to be boosted that much. Well... It's hard. It's a it's a trip, and you're going to come back to Earth in both cases. But that's that's the love affair. That's true. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's the love affair, right? The love affair is like a one way ticket. Well, we think we hope it's a one way ticket to Utopia, Euphoric Land, Blissville. But you know, the ship has to come back down. Yeah, relationships happen on Earth. They happen on Earth. Yeah. And and it can be a beautiful place. This seems like an appropriate time to, to wrap it up. Okay. <laughs> um, can you tell us uh, where we can find you and how we can work with you? Yes. Thank you for asking. Um, I have an online community called The Open Heart Project. And the URL is openheartproject.com. Or you can just Google my name, Susan Piver. And there are ways to learn meditation, ways to talk about relationship as a spiritual practice, and a wonderful community of people who are trying to figure it out for themselves in a very supportive atmosphere. So, um, And my next book, which I just finished the first draft, but it'll be out in the spring of 2022, is called The Buddhist Enneagram. Which Ooh, you love the Enneagram. I do love the Enneagram. It helps me in relationships more than anything. So I hope it will be in the relationship vein, like the wisdom of a broken heart and the four noble truths of love, that will be also helpful in love. Well, I'll for sure have you back so that we can talk about that book. Thank you. That would be wonderful. What's your, what's your Enneagram? Four. Four. What's yours? Seven. There you go. There we go. <laughs> so that's very helpful to know. <laughs> uh, so SusanPiver.com. Or we've Open Heart books. Project. Uh, yeah, we've got books. OpenHeartProject.com. Either one. Either one's going to point to the same thing. Um, are you doing any writing workshops? No. I, I, in, in, not yet. I've been teaching okay. retreats in my house in Austin. Yeah. Small retreats. And that's been great. I did teach a meditation and writing retreat in June of 2021. And I think I'm going to teach another one in April of 2022, but I haven't figured out the dates yet. Cool. Okay. Well, we'll be on the lookout for it. Oh, awesome. And what 
Uh, what does love mean to you? Let's see if your answer has changed since the last time we spoke. Oh, I don't remember what I said last time. Perfect. Love means to me knowing the truth of who you are and sharing it skillfully. What did I say last time? I don't know, but that's beautiful. I think that's I think that's really important. Yeah. Personally. What does it mean to you? Oh man. Um my favorite definition, I'll give you my favorite definition, um, is M. Scott Peck's. Um, love is the extension of oneself for the spiritual growth of self or another. That is beautiful. Yeah. Paraphrasing. Yeah, it's beautiful. Right? So, stretching, discomfort, sitting with, uh-huh. in order to help the growth of another. Yeah. Hard. Yeah. Doesn't doesn't say anything about a rocket ship to Blissville in there at all. <laughs> Surprisingly. <laughs> um, thank you for your time and for your wisdom. Yes, thank you for both yourself. And um, I look forward to the next time our paths cross. Definitely. Thank you for spending this hour with Susan and me today. As always, your presence means the world to me. I hope this was helpful. Have a beautiful week.